0: Hey everyone, it's Allie, and if you followed the show before, it's no secret Annie and I are huge fans of play in almost every sense of the word. But you might be surprised, based on my fervent evangelism, that I'm a pretty recent fan. Just a few years ago, I was privy to a conversation about two teachers at the school I worked at. These teachers were a bit outside the culture of the school, and even though I hadn't seen their classrooms in action— Word on the street was that they were doing the least teaching in the building. Never having been in their classroom, I gleaned that the problem was their lack of rigor. Students were basically having a glorified choice time all day long. On that particular day, the conversation was a little different, though, because these teachers had once again achieved the highest growth test scores in the school, and everyone was really confused. I tell this story to illustrate a couple of things— Number one, the sleeping giant that is the power of play in learning, waiting to be understood. And two, that there are often possibilities out there that could help us get where we want to go, but our biases towards what we think success in a classroom should look like leads us instead to double down on trying to make people better at what we are already doing. Practical question, how is that working out for us? There are countless passionate, determined, self-sacrificing teachers and administrators working diligently to get better every day. And the data shows our results on these measures of student success and well-being are static or getting worse, and teachers are leaving in droves. One of the biggest reasons Annie and I are both such avid fans of play is because when you take a minute to even just skim the surface of the evidence, it's overwhelming in its benefits for children's learning, mental health, and development, the exact challenges we are battling against every day in schools. Ask anyone in a school building this year and they'll tell you it feels like those challenges are growing. When there's this much human carnage, the problem is not the individual's. One of my favorite quotes is from a guy named Alexander Den Heyer, I think, and it sums up our reality pretty well. When a flower fails to bloom, you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower. We have to start looking at environmental changes rather than looking at how to make humans better at surviving environments clearly not designed for them. We believe play has something to teach us about how to do that. But play can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. I mean, I didn't understand it as anything serious until I was eight years into working with students. Eight years. And then boom. So with that, let's start with what do we mean by play-based learning in public education? Hi, I'm Allie.
1: And I'm Annie. And And you're you're listening listening to That's So Evolutionary, an
0: education podcast where we explore what teachers, psychologists, anthropologists, and the latest thought leaders are saying about what we can and must do to transform learning environments so that every child has the opportunity
1: to thrive in our world today.
0: Annie and I each have over a decade of experience in classrooms.
1: And we are still teaching and testing out ways to make schools work better for children
0: and for the adults who support them. Join, Join us, us as we evaluate the evidence, dig through the debates, very bad ideas, gush over good ones, and build a roadmap for all teachers, whether at home, school, or in the community, to show what is possible as we evolve our system of education together. together. Um, so Annie, before we go and dive into what we mean by play, I actually want to hear how you first got turned on to play as a vehicle for learning. Was there ever a time you poo-pooed it like I did? You know, I don't think
1: so. And I know that's a pretty rare answer probably for a lot of teachers. And it's for a few reasons. And that goes back to how I was a student in Montessori. And then I went to a very liberal arts-based elementary school for third through fifth grade. Um, And then when I became a teacher and I was in the Stanley Preparation Program... One of their huge tenets in their philosophy is around play. So even as a teacher learning to teach, it was the only way I knew. And so we were interns, is what we called ourselves. But we were interns at schools that were play-based. Then when we had our intern meetings, we had choice time that we learned how to solve conflict through, how to be creative, how to use it to leverage literacy. And all of these things that I didn't actually know at the time were kind of quite innovative and different. Um and so that's how I started. And so I often think about how lucky I am that I began as a teacher only knowing this way because I don't know what would have happened if I didn't know that. Yeah, well, that, and
0: I feel like it's such a part of your identity as a teacher and yeah. what has made you so successful. Yeah, Um, I
1: mean, and and again, it comes back to like, again, you know, I've said again, like 15 times now, everyone, I'm sorry. But when you have an admin who hires you because you come from this program, right, who will let you come in and kind of be you and you're starting to get great results. It was always encouraged. And so I feel really, really lucky for that. And I know that's not the norm. So yeah,
0: yeah. Um, totally.
1: And that's super opposite from your you oh, know, bag, oh
0: yeah, I mean my background. baggage. I was gonna, say, gonna say baggage. <laughs> <Yeah>. That too. <laughs> Whoops, that was a little Freudian slip. If you <laughs> know. Yeah, for those of you who uh, didn't listen to season one, episode one, shame on you. First How of all, dare you? Uh, but second of all, I got my te- started in teaching through Teach for America, which obviously has a very different model of preparation. Yep. <laughs> and you know, uh, I think play. It takes training to do it right Mm -hmm. and to do it well. And in my program, you know, we were trying to be (laughs) as successful as we could on day one. So what is the shortest cut to not having scissors flying at your face.
1: Well, and the funny thing about that is is so many times people think that that is, we must go to this traditional route of doing things Well really, you know, and and I've only experienced the opposite. I was not a kid that would have learned well that way. And I was lucky to have teachers that let me, you know, be the weirdo that I am. But also in education, you know, I started with this incredible mentor teacher, Reeves, who's a teacher in Denver. And again, he was my mentor teacher through the Stanley program. And I just remember one of the first learning experiences. I saw with third, fourth, and fifth graders who were working on using adjectives and figurative language and all these, like, descriptive language tools to add to their writing, and the kids were struggling with adjectives and and interesting adjectives, you know, not just, like pink or whatever. (laughs) So Reeves designed this fashion show experience where kids created these outfits and they had this big red runway and it was this whole thing, but you didn't hear a word about the clothes. And so they had like commentators that had to only use very precise and beautiful language and adjectives to describe these clothes. And it was incredible. And the kids walked away with a super valuable experience, but it was play, right? Yeah. So yeah. anyways, we often say, you know, oh, there can be no play with strict academics. And on the other side, if there's academics, there there can't be play in that.
0: And that's just not true. Yeah, totally. I, I you know, the reason we wanted to start with this episode is because it's clear people define play in a lot of different ways, and it's a word that carries a lot of cultural baggage. And I think often we do think of play as the stuff you do when you're not being serious or you're not working or you're not being productive and based on the activity someone's doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, playing with toys or games or make-believe. But many of the leading advocates for play-based learning define it. From a really different angle, I'm going to bring out our favorite, Peter Gray. Ding, ding, ding. We literally can't go
1: (laughs) an episode without quoting our favorite, Peter
0: Gray. (laughs) Yes. uh, Peter Gray writes, the characteristics of play all have to do with the motivation and mental attitude, not with the overt form of the behavior itself. Two people might be throwing a ball or pounding nails or typing words on a computer, and one might be playing while the other is not. To tell which one is playing and which is not, you have to infer from their expressions and the details of their actions something about why they are doing what they are doing and their attitude toward it.
1: Okay, so for for those of us out there that are like me that need to really break it down um, because the theorists (laughs) sometimes are a little bit over my head. So if we're breaking that down, we're talking more about the mental attitude than the activity, right? So you can literally have two kids doing the same activity and one is playing and one is not. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, so pop quiz time to see if you're tracking, tracking listener and to see if I am. Well. <laughs> Which child is playing? Situation A, the child who is building the Play-Doh letters because his teachers told him to. And um, so that's the activity they're doing. Well, that, that sounds a little leading, Allie. Um, <laughs> I would deduce on a multiple choice test. That doesn't sound great, but just in case. Option B. The child who was playing with Play-Doh letters because she chose from an unbeknownst to her carefully curated collection of materials geared towards helping her master that specific skill. Um, Should we insert some crickets here? Why aren't you answering? (laughs)
0: Um, I was giving wait time,
1: Annie. Oh. Uh, okay,
0: Miss National Award-winning Teacher oh. of the Year. Right, right, right. But wait now time. that you've put me on the spot, it's yeah. B, the child who's building the Play-Doh letters because she she or he chose that activity. B.
1: <laughs> ding, 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 and gold star because That's why you did this, right? You wanted the gold star.
0: (laughs) Well, no, actually, but I had to do a lot of personal therapy after college to get out of that habit. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Yes. Okay, you're right. You absolutely got it right. (laughs) Yes. Great. Um, But also, can't we agree for just a moment that we humans prefer anything someone hasn't told us to do? No,
1: yeah, I 100% don't want to do anything anybody tells me to do because I'm a recalcitrant asshole. And so if I actually get to choose, I'm gonna do a hell of a lot better mm-hmm.
0: I you know what when someone I'm trying to think of what I do like sometimes I have a really friendly look on my face mm-hmm. but I'm like a serial killer inside <laughs> what? well that went
1: to zero too dangerous and
0: real fast serial okay kills. I'm gonna That's cut that the, no I'm no, cutting that out no
1: no she's not because everyone that is our new t-shirt Allie is a serial killer why you ask because she's pleasant but really doesn't like to be told what to do <laughs>
0: Okay, bring it back and tell me more. Yeah. So, of course, um, Peter Gray has more to say. Ding, ding, ding. But, listener, don't you worry. There's not a single Peter Gray in any of the three outlines that I've started doing. But, Allie, how will people play the drinking game and get drunk if you don't talk about oh, Peter Gray? crap. <laughs> okay, so Peter Gray, in ding, his ding, book ding. Free to Learn, uh, goes on to list five characteristics that lead people to think of an experience as play or playful regardless of what the actual activity is they're doing. Obviously, this is very powerful motivational witchery here. Okay, I'm listening. So listen carefully. Witch. Number one, and we're going to come around to these and dive into them a little bit more. So don't, don't get concerned when you hear these. You
1: don't answers. need to take notes. Just listen.
0: Yeah. Number one, <laughs> it is self-chosen and self-directed. Mm-hmm. Number two. The means are more valued than the ends. Mm -hmm. So the activity itself is bringing you joy or whatever. Fun. Fun. Mm -hmm. Number three, it has a structure or rules that the player has invented or accepted. So natural buy-in. So natural buy-in. And you think of when kids are playing and they're playing tag and they're making up these rules. You don't play if you don't agree with the rules people have decided. And video games are another great example where there's these worlds that have very clear rules but players all the time buy into Mm -hmm. playing them Mm -hmm. Um, number four it is imaginative set apart in some way from the pressures of real or serious life I think about that story you told about adjectives Mm. you know Mm -hmm. and the fashion show and wow that really took something that could be really bland Mm -hmm. and brought it to life in such a powerful way and then five it involves an active alert but non-stress frame of mind I mean all of us can think about a time when we were asked to do an activity and someone was watching us I mean I guess teachers do this all the time you know when we're evaluated but I we've talked about this before uh you know different people it can be debilitating for them when they're being evaluated and
1: well and I didn't think about this until right now but now that I'm thinking about the adjective fashion show in particular I would wager that somebody listening might be like well what if you're not into making clothes or being creative or that's too I remember now there were a group of kids that were like Mm-mm, I am not parading down that runway that is not for me challenged by choice declined but they were able to be judge judges and the commentators. And so yeah. there was still like an active role. An well, and it
0: sounds like there was an element of choice. Mm-hmm. How are you participating Yeah, exactly. Um, in this? Yeah. And so that last thing is, you know, it's not, it's not an evaluative environment. You have the freedom to make mistakes and learn from your mistakes and grow. Yep. So based on
1: this definition, Harnessing the power of play in our classrooms is about the conditions, like you said, surrounding the activities more than the types of activities themselves.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can take this a step further in clearing it up. Yeah. In an interview I saw with Dr. Naomi Fisher during a summit on play, and she's a big play-based advocate, um, she summed up for me an incredibly simple recipe for what constitutes play-based learning. And she said, "It is a process where the learner is the one in control. They choose what they do, how they do it, and when they stop doing it."
1: Now, I imagine, listener, this is when you will, <laughs> or people in general, will start, naturally start to panic, right? Because if you take this as kids can choose anything they want to do, it can take you a very to a very unproductive Absolutely. direction with in the context of a school Oh my day, gosh! Right?
0: Totally. I and. And you know, oftentimes we think about the, we think about it as you know either total freedom, A.K.A. shit show, mm-hmm. or total adult control. But if we're intentional, students can absolutely learn the same things in a different, more empowering way. Yeah. Well, and I also think it comes
1: back to this this idea of joy for teacher, which then translates to joy for student. Right. This oh, job is totally. already hard enough. And if we don't learn or embrace or get into the power of play.
0: Maybe I'm speaking from my experience, but besides, I think the people who had the experiences like Stanley British mm-hmm. Primary, we've not been given a toolbox mm-hmm. to do this well. No, definitely not. Uh, and and so it's, I 100% believe that we can better meet student needs and make teaching more sustainable by using, and I think this is a Reggio concept, the environment as a third teacher. Yep. um, And Montessori defines it as freedom within limits. The requirements for students that we can put in the environment, these are the things you must do to pass on to this next level sort of thing. Students can then make a choice of what they do, how they do it. Do they work with a partner? Do they get a chowky and go in a corner? And when they stop doing it, I'm done doing it and I'm gonna move on to the next thing. And- you know what? I can't pass on to the next level until I master this. But today I've decided that I'm done and I'm going to do something else that I want to work on towards mastery.
1: And that gives me student ownership and empowerment. And I'm still making choices that are helping me grow. I'm better off. right? Yeah.
0: And I mean, what what is really exciting to me is the idea of the A lot of the limits that right now teachers are having to constantly crack down on Mm -hmm. are placed in the environment in intentional ways so that it's almost like um, bumpers on a bowling lane to keep kids going down a particular path without us having to hammer them there Mm. every step of the way, which is exhausting for us. I don't want to do that. And and they don't love it either. (laughs) Yeah. This shift has the potential to be so powerful I think, because it makes progress to solving many of the challenges, eating up all of our bandwidth in schools. It changes the conditions so that student motivation can move from being extrinsic and totally orchestrated by the teacher to intrinsic. It empowers kids to be independent learners. How often are we talking about how we have this crisis of dependent learners Mm -hmm, who are mm -hmm. dependent on us? Right. It creates... A greater locus of control. And I, the feeling of having any amount of control over your life is what feeds into people's lack of or filled bucket of mental health. I don't sure. know what to call it. Well, I mean, and even how that tra-
1: translates then to academic mindsets and our beliefs 100%. about ourselves. and And just even coming to school. Yeah. Right? Like the desire to want to come to school. Oh, my gosh. Right?
0: Totally. This also opens up the opportunity for us to actually customize learning to the learners. So you're not teaching the same thing necessarily to everyone who's at a different range of needs and levels at the same time, which gives us a fighting chance to meet the needs of kids with chronic absences Mm -hmm. or IEPs and include them well. Mm -hmm. And it allows teachers to spend more time building relationships. Think about it. If you have a whole room of independent learners and two-thirds or more of them are pretty good at managing their own Mm -hmm. shit and, like, moving from thing to thing, and you have someone melt down, and kids are continuing to teach themselves, you can actually – go and support that kid who really needs you in that mm-hmm. moment in a, in a way that's not, I need you to comply right now because everything's about to fall apart if you don't.
1: Well, and from Reggio to Montessori and certainly to Expeditionary Learning, the the hope is that you walk into any classroom and you don't see the
0: teacher, right? Yeah. That it is kid-managed and run totally. and led situation. Well, and giving students more ownership of the process yeah. makes teaching so much more joyful and sustainable. I mean, I certainly did not become a teacher to micromanage people's shit all day long. I can't even micromanage myself. I all right, so
1: Allie, this okay. is all a lot of beautiful ideas. Yes, <laughs> nobody is gonna disagree with this, right? <laughs> Everybody wants this. But are we gonna actually tell the listeners like what this can actually look like and maybe some ideas of how to put this into play?
0: Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for that episode, yeah. but it is not right now. <laughs> um Just we're a actually bait and switch, well, you guys here's the thing. In our next episode, I would like to talk about all the different ways play based learning often looks and the common challenges that come up so that we can start talking about how we overcome them in order to be successful.
1: Oh, the suspense is killing you all, I'm sure. So, listeners, you'll have to come back next week for the next piece of this playful puzzle. This is Allie. And this is Annie. And you've been listening to That's So Evolutionary. Mm-hmm.
0: Hey, teacher listeners. So I know this isn't exactly the time of the year when we're creating our hopes and dreams for new ways of doing things. You're more likely in cruise mode or survival mode from now to the end of the year. And we get it because we are or have been in your shoes. While we release these episodes, we also wanted to offer any support we could for the stage of the year we're in right now. No matter if you're thriving or surviving, you're probably craving ways to navigate the end of the year with clarity, ease, and engagement with students. So we created a resource for that. It's called End of Year Ease, and it's for kindergarten math. We have a tracker that allows you to see all the most important end of year mastery standards and plug your students in on where they fall. In addition, it has hands-on games and activities for each of those main standards you can print and use to help students towards mastery of that given skill. You can find it at edvolutionary.com slash E-O-Y, think abbreviation for end of year, or through the link in our Instagram bio. And while you're on Insta, give us a follow and a like. We'd love to get this message and these resources out to more folks. Ta-ta till next week.